slides, if you just go forward and forward a little bit more. These were perhaps just back one um, slide. Thank you, colleagues. These um, honourable members are the questions which we were provided with. And let's just have a look. I think we've probably covered quite a number of those. Professor Erasmus, we've dealt with sovereignty, obligations fitting into South Africa's demo new democratic form of governments, intergovernmental relations. Anything you want to add there before we move on quite quickly? I don't have to. I don't want to add anything. Thanks. The issue of industrialization and industrial policy is, of course, an important one, and we can say a little bit about that later on. I think just keep in mind that um, industrialization is usually a national policy, but in the context of our regional integration arrangements, SACU, SADEC, and now also under the AFCFDA, we have added discussions about industrialization. And in fact, the link between the AFCFDA and Africa's industrialization is now a very important area of work. It goes back to the fundamental issue that if we are going to benefit from trade agreements, then we must expand and diversify our productive capacity. In fact, we must industrialize. So this link essentially between trade policy and industrial policy is now well recognized. And certainly for South Africa, that's also enshrined in our trade policy and in our most recent trade policy statement. We can go to the next one. And I think if we skip over that one, we should now be close to here we are. This is now um, the NC12. Professor Erasmus, over to you to start off our conversation here. Yeah, thank you, um, uh, Trudy. Uh, we have pre prepared a, a little bit of background information on um, Ministerial Conference 12, MC12, which took place from the 12th to the 17th of June this year at the WTO headquarters in Geneva. Now, it was attended by ministers from across the world uh, to review the functioning of the multilateral trading system. That is the function, the purpose of um, these ministerial conferences. Um, they take place from time to time, but because of COVID, MC12 had to be postponed at least twice. So eventually, it was it was uh, uh, um, planned for um, MC12 was planned for taking place in Kazakhstan uh, in 2020, and it couldn't do so. And then there was a second um, 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 postponement, but eventually, finally, MC12 was convened this year, and for uh, that week in June and. Uh, very intense negotiations and discussions. Eventually, there was uh, an outcome, and that outcome uh, has been labeled the Geneva package, 
which was delivered after five and a half days of marathon, marathon talks. Um, the Director General of the WTO said the deal showed to the world that the WTO members can come together across geopolitical fault lines to address problems of global of the global commons and to reinforce and reinvigorate this institution. Now, of course, uh, the Director General of the, of the of the WTO is Dr. Ngozi Onkondi-Iweala from, from Nigeria. She's the first African and the first um, uh, woman to be the Director General. And from that, one can, 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 can distill and can um, get this um, impression, at least, and that is generally shared, that uh, ultimately there was uh, a positive outcome and that the membership of the WTO in MC12, in the end, reached an important set of, of, of um, agreements or decisions that read, at least they adopted decisions that resulted in an important package of issues being covered. And these um, uh, issues we will quickly share with you so that if we go to the second slide, or the next one here, um, um, let's talk with what is generally considered to be the most important outcome of MC12. The WTO membership forged an agreement on fishery subsidies, which sets new global roles to curb harmful sub subsidies um, and subsidies to illegal fishing in order to protect global fish stocks in a manner that also recognizes the needs of fishers in developing and least developed countries. This um, matter was on the agenda for quite some time. And the agreement on fishery subsidies is also described as the first WTO agreement to place environmental sustainability at its core. Fishery subsidies estimated to range from 14 billion to 54 billion per year globally, enable many fishing fleets to operate longer and further at sea to the detriment, uh, detriment of marine life. And um, to quote from the text itself, this agreement prohibits support for illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing. It bans support for fishing in overfished stocks, and it takes a first but significant step towards uh, forward to curb subsidies for overcapacity and overfishing by ending subsidies for fishing on uh, the unregulated high seas. So we can immediately see that the, 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 the practice of providing subsidies, which comes from states, subsidies come from states, from governments, so what this agreement does is to contain obligations to gradually phase out the subsidies of 
um, fishing practices and fishing activities on 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 the on the seas, uh, including the high seas, in order to uh, to uh, deal with the scourge, to deal with the problem of of overfishing and uh, more specifically illegal, unreported, and unregulated fishing. Two hundred sixty million people depend on marine fisheries for their life. This is a very important agreement. If we go to the next slide, uh, we can say something about the uh, further technical features thereof. There are provisions on um, LDC, least developed countries and developing countries of the WCO, to benefit from provisions specific to them in the agreement and from technical assistance and capacity building that shall be provided through the uh, WTO fisheries funding mechanism. Now, this is uh, uh, um, uh, also a unique uh, feature of this agreement. It still has to be set up, this WTO fisheries funding mechanism. And the, the in, well, the money, the funds will have to come from, from, from countries eventually, from, from WTO members, and primarily, of course, the developed countries. And from this funding mechanism, um, certain support initiatives directed at assisting and benefiting developing and LDC member states will be funded. The negotiating group on rules has been tasked by the members to continue to continue negotiations to further curb certain subsidies that contribute to, to overcapacity and overfishing. So this agreement is a very important first starting point. When will it enter into force? It will enter into force upon acceptance of its legal instruments by two thirds of the membership. So it is not immediately effective. It has to enter into force two thirds of the uh, 164 of the member states um, will have to um, um, ratify it. And then it will, as an agreement, become uh, binding for those countries that have ratified. So let's let's summarize this. It's a very important breakthrough development, but it is not immediately uh, effective. Uh, by that, I don't want to say anything that suggests that uh, that suggests that it is. Uh, um, somewhat um, deficient. No, it's not. All international agreements go this route. It is also only uh, another milestone development. It's only the second new international agreement generated by the WTO since the WTO was formed. The first one was the Trade Facilitation Agreement that entered into force in 2017. So, a very, very important international uh, matter, uh, and that is the protection of the fishing stocks of the world. As a matter of fact, the, the fact that the 
membership of the WTO stand behind this agreement is significant. And in this manner, hopefully we will say, see a wide form of participation and um, uh, uh, an effective an effective regulation of this very um, sensitive matter. A lot more has to be done in order to root out all illegal subsidies in future. Uh, and here we have a starting instrument for that purpose. Today, I don't know whether you want to add something on, on, on the um, fisheries uh, agreement, the fishery, fishery subsidies agreement? I think, um, honourable members, it is extremely important, as Professor Erasmus indicates, that this is only the second agreement since 1995 that we have concluded um, within the WTO. The issue of subsidies has much, much broader implication and consequences and there are a lot of debates around the role of subsidies and whether in fact the rules of the WTO, the agreement um, that we have currently dealing with countervailing measures that may be applied in the case of the use of subsidies, whether that is effective. And honourable members, it's also a discussion on the continent where all of our countries, for example, want to develop their productive capacity and industrialize. But if we are importing goods that are subsidized, this may undermine our capacity to develop our domestic industries. So the issue of subsidies, here, the added issue related to the environmental impact is particularly important. And we see a much broader agenda. The African Union recently released um, a statement on climate and the environment and make certain recommendations that may be taken up in the remaining AFCFTA negotiations. But environmental issues, climate crises and challenges extremely important in this context but there is also a bigger picture and we will see these issues also picked up in the AFCFDA and our own national and regional agendas. Thank you very much. Then we can go to the next slide. Thank you Trudy. Maybe today you want to say something about the um, MC12 response to the pandemic, because there we didn't see the result in the form of a new agreement. Uh, that, is, that, that, is, that is the most um, dedicated and, and significant development that can be uh, expected. Uh, for that reason that there is uh, general acceptance across the board of of this subsidies, fishing subsidies agreement to be an exceptionally uh, important outcome. But then in the form of a ministerial declaration, uh, uh, we saw the reaction of the WTO membership um, uh, to the current and future pandemics. Uh, and that is where the waiver of certain requirements under the TRIPS agreement um, uh, concerning the use of compulsory licenses 
to produce COVID-19 vaccines comes in the, into the picture. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that, please? Thanks, Professor Rasmus. Honorable members, this is really important. And, and of course, the issue has been brought to global attention as a result of the COVID pandemic and access to vaccines, which has been decidedly uneven across the globe. And as we know, until we're all safe, nobody is safe from a pandemic such as this. There is a reminder also that we have some experience in this broader context about trade-related intellectual property rights and the HIV-AIDS um, experience of the early 2000s. And there were TRIPS flexibilities, which we could in South Africa did use. And we were able to, to attain significant success in terms of expanding our domestic productive capacity in the pharmaceutical sector. And we saw the growth, for example, of a significant generics pharmaceutical production capacity and industry. This now comes as a proposal made by South Africa and India and subsequently other WTO members have joined the call for this waiver for particular dispensation to address our capacity to produce not only vaccines and drugs, but also a range of other related products and, and services. And I think that's quite important to keep in mind. Notable was when the US joined in support of, of this proposal. Um, so some other countries have not and so on, but nonetheless, the members have now adopted a ministerial declaration. Very important, it includes a waiver of certain aspects of TRIPS concerning the use of compulsory licenses to produce COVID-19 vaccines. Now, the use of compulsory licenses is something we have experience from during the HIV AIDS era, where we did use exactly this measure. So this is not new to us. We have history and experience, which will be important there. The aim is to develop and expand productive capacity, knowledge, research, development, the skills which are necessary to support the development of pharmaceutical production across the globe to ensure that we are well placed when new pandemics or new epidemics for that matter also come to our shores. We've seen now recently the World Health Organization note that the spread of monkeypox has become a particularly significant event. So colleagues, COVID-19 is not over yet, but we already are seeing other challenges. So this is extremely important. What we now have to do, um, honorable members, is also to have a look at how this will be implemented and how practically developing and least developed countries, which can take advantage of the opportunities that are so provided by the declaration, will be able to put that in place. 
because of course they will need a lot of support. They will need foreign direct investment, skills development, quality assurance, infrastructure, laboratories, testing facilities, which are all part of the broad landscape supporting pharmaceutical manufacture and very importantly, also distribution. Because as we've come to learn during COVID, the distribution of vaccines requires particular supply chain integrity and management with particular facilities such as cooling facilities and so on. So a landmark development at this stage available for five years. So what we do have to do now is expeditiously engage with partners, but also domestically to see how best we can take advantage of the opportunities that have been created. Thank you. I think we can move to the next slide. Professor Rasmus, any further comments? No, 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 I'm fine, thank you. Uh, unless the chair wants us to, to add something. Honorable chair, can we proceed? Sorry, I yeah. Let's let's proceed until we finish the presentation. Because uh, I also look at the time we're supposed to be done by uh, uh, thirteen hundred hours. Okay, let's do so. We'll hurry up. I promise you, honourable chair. All right. Thank you so much. Next slide. This one deals with in uh, with food insecurity. Of course, uh, the world, <clears throat> the global economy is not in a healthy state at the moment. And uh, in the beginning of the year, um, the uh, war in Ukraine uh, started uh, and contributed uh, significantly to a further uh, set of complications. Um, MC12 surprised many to some extent in, this, in, the, in the sense that it um, uh, generated uh, um, an, an, a package on agricultural comp uh, uh, matters in, a, in the form of a ministerial declaration on the emergency response to food insecurity and the ministerial declaration on exempting World Food Programme the World Food Program, humanitarian food purchases from export prohibitions or restrictions. Now let's look at these two matters uh, uh, together. Um, both of these initiatives, the Ministerial Declaration on, the, on, on, on Food Insecurity and the Ministerial Declaration on Exemption of, uh, for the World Food Program, humanitarian food purchases, both respond to the, the demand from the international community for immediate action by WTO members to address food shortages and, and soaring food prices and ensure that the most vulnerable can access emergency food for, for aid, food aid. The declaration underlines the strong commitment by the WTO members to take concrete steps to facilitate trade with, uh, which plays a vital role in, in, in improving global food security and to improve the functioning and resilience 
of global food markets. Now, we must um, see this development against the background that um, the international or multilater multilateral regulation of trade in agriculture, of the production of food, has been on that agenda for a long time. And there is not a full agreement on the measures that should be allowed to individual countries to secure food security at home as opposed to international food security. What we have here uh, are two deliberate efforts to do something about international um, food security and uh, about a set of measures deliberately designed to, 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 to help the World Food Programs, uh, um, programs humanitarian food purchases. There's also a further confirmation of the importance of not imposing export prohibitions or restrictions on agri-food trade in the WTO inconsistent manner. And yeah, the slide stops with a, a, a um, welcoming by the director of uh, the World Food Program of this initiative. And he says it ensures critical relief in terms of food availability reaches the most vulnerable. And uh, the WTO Director General said the decision will make it easier for the World Food Program to do its difficult job of feeding millions that suffer from acute hunger. Trudy, how do these two ministerial declarations hang together? I think there are some really interesting developments here. And um, I listened last week to a presentation by the Director General, and she was saying it's the first time in the context of a WTO agreement that we've heard this word resilience of markets. I think what we are recognizing is that there is a close connection between international trade and food security and finding a balance between the national imperative of protecting the citizens, but also securing international food security and access to food, particularly those in marginalized communities across the least and least developed countries is extremely important. But it also recognizes, and I think this is, is really important, the role of this international institution that we've all come to know and, and monitor very well, especially during the pandemic, the World Food Program. So we're starting to see that some of key foundational development issues are being addressed in new and perhaps starting to see some innovation in addressing those issues. It was not uncommon during particularly the early part of the pandemic for us to see restrictions on export of food products. And we saw that 
across the continent, for example, where countries um, restricted, banned the export of certain grains or pulses and so on. And um, so I think this is, is not an unexpected response, but it has a very, very important impact, the spillover effect, um, if you like, of those national restrictions and policies. And so the reference to that we should be cognizant of our WTO obligations, but balancing national, international imperatives and, and essentially humanitarian obligations is becoming extremely important. So I think this is, is really important. There's a lot of focus on food systems development, um, about improving the functioning of global food markets, supply chains. There are also issues that we are seeing in, in the continent playing out where, for example, when it comes to customs and border management, the fact that we are dealing in many cases with perishable goods, goods where urgence in terms of going from producer to final consumer requires expedited customs and border management processes is being recognized. And we'll see how that could be addressed, for example, in, in the AFCFDA as well. So big wake up call for us also as a result of, of the Russia-Ukraine um, impact on on global food supply chains and productive capacity availability. And this is also being taken up, for example, in, in the con on the continent with respect to the impact of agricultural innovation. And this links this discussion also to the intellectual property discourse. Because if we are going to be taking a look at ag agricultural innovation, whether it be in terms of product, whether it be in, in terms of service to the agricultural and the agriculture producing community, we really got to keep in mind that protecting that intellectual property may well be extremely important too. So it raises a lot of related issues. Um, for the African continent, although we always say that many countries are, are really food baskets, there is also the looming disaster of water scarcity in many countries. So there's a bigger picture here, but it's so good to see that we are starting to see these issues on the table within the multilateral trade governance system in a way that we have not yet seen before. Thank you. Okay, I think we have only the one final matter outstanding, and that is your uh, focus on the on the um, intellectual property aspects, uh, 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 not intellectual property aspects about digital the digital trade, about the digital trade. Yeah. Uh, and then we uh, will um, probably um, remain in the good books of the of the chair if we can then uh, immediately after that come to an end close our presentation so if you can go to the next one please uh, wto reform um, uh, there is um, 
um, um, uh, outcomes document uh, uh, that was concluded as part of MC12, promising that the WTO members will continue uh, their efforts to uh, to reform the WTO, and in particular, to um, if you look at the last bullet there, to 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 uh, continue talks on addressing the concerns with respect to the WTO dispute settlement system with a view to securing a fully functioning dispute settlement system by 2024. I, I, earlier this morning, I mentioned the fact that the appellate body is, in, um, uh, is not functioning at the moment. And here we have a recognition also in MC12 that there is important outstanding work to be done in, in internally and institutionally within the WTO. We can go to the next one. Thank you very much. There is a decision on SPS, sanitary and phytosanitary uh, um, um, declaration, uh, responding to uh, challenges that may significantly impact international trade in food animals and so on. Uh, and uh, the declaration commits the members to launching a work program to identify new challenges uh, in the implementation of the WTO SPS agreement. This relates to some extent to the, um, to the uh, dispute that has been declared about the export of South African oranges. And now what are the difficulties experienced in the, in the existing WTO SPS uh, uh, arrangement? Remember that the WTO has, as part of, of the covered agreements, an SPS agreement. There have been talks uh, or indications for some time that some of these matters are becoming a very uh, technical, a very um, capacity intensive and uh, and and uh, often uh, not sufficiently uh, transparent. So we now see um, uh, an undertaking to 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 look at the SPS uh, system in the WTO, and there was a, a decision uh, reaffirming the commitment of members uh, to the work program and on small economies as well. And these are the, are the outstanding matters uh, where uh, they will continue to, to, to work on. Uh, there's also something on TRIPS. So MC12 concluded with a number of additional promises of ongoing reform issues, substantive legal refinement, and, and assistance to small economies. We could go to the next slide, please. And that is for you, Turi, and you have only seven minutes to do so. Thank you very much, um, Professor Erasmus. Honorable members, I have quite a number of slides, and um, this is really background about digital trade and digitally ordered trade. So the distinction we mentioned very briefly this morning, there are some statistics which are useful to have a look at, indicates how significantly 
um, the digital economy and digital trade specifically is developing both in Africa, across the continent, but also globally. We're reminded about the digital divide in Africa, but there's also a digital divide in South Africa. And then finally, we come to MC12 on the moratorium on taxation of e-commerce. So um, if I may ask that we skip very quickly through, there's probably about 10 slides until we come to the topic of the moratorium, the MC12 decision. What I can perhaps just say as, as background, um, if we take a look at e-commerce that involves the digital order of goods, for example, so e-commerce that, that you and I might engage, we might order a product on the Mall of Africa, the e-commerce website or Jumia or even Amazon or one, one of the other global sites, that product still crosses a border and is subject to taxation. So that remains. That's really important to keep in mind. Um, you may, when you receive a parcel, be required to, to pay duty on the goods that have been, been purchased. But if we skip through now just quickly, let's go on to the next slide. This is just um, honourable members, the definitions are really important here. We really are looking at electronic transactions being being taxed. And so this distinction between digitally ordered goods and digitally delivered um, services and trade is, is really important to keep in mind. Also note that there are ways of digitally ordering a service an Uber ride, and then the service provider in the car will arrive at your door for that service. So it is such a diverse collection of different services and goods that are at play when we talk about digital trade. Digitally delivered trade, that's the cloud services, software downloads, gaming, entertainment, and entertainment and gaming is by far the biggest component of this. And these are electronic transactions that are very, very important to keep in mind. There has been discussion quite extensively in a divide between developed countries and developing and least developed countries saying that the developing world, developing and least developed countries are recipients of these services. And so, therefore, not having taxation on the delivery of those services means that there is potentially quite a compromise in, in terms of revenue collection that they are not able to collect as a result of that. The counter arguments very often coming from the developed world is that the economic activity that is generated and that is taxed by other means may well be stifled if we start introducing high levels of taxation on these cross-border transmissions. Next, and I think we're going to have to skip through quite quickly. These are, honourable members, just some data representations. I think let's skip through this. 
we'll certainly see that there is a great deal of, of growth in digitally delivered services in particular. That's quite important to note. So if we compare trade in goods, trade in services, and digitally delivered services, on the graph on the right-hand side, you will see the steady growth over time of digitally deliverable services, whereas trade and goods and services have fluctuated quite significantly from 2005 to 2020. Let's move through the next, and I think we can skip through quite, we can skip through the digital divide. I think on the continent, we are aware, we can skip this one as well, that South Africa, Morocco, Mauritius, Tunisia, Kenya, Nigeria, these are countries that are really surging ahead in terms of digital economy developments, also attracting significant investment from global players, whether it be Google, um, eBay, Alibaba, the um, Chinese-owned e-commerce platform, and many, many others. But there are developments on the continent. I've met mentioned the more for Africa, Jumia, and of course in South Africa, we're all familiar with Loot, Take A Lot, and many other e-commerce platforms that have developed in recent years. I think let's move on, and I think we can go through this one as well. There's a lot, and this is the one. Let's stop here, honorable members. This um, is the the moratorium, the decision, in other words, moratorium on taxation on electronic transactions. And I think we do have to recognize here that the moratorium has been in place for some time. It's not a new issue at all, and it has been extended. So now it is extended until the next ministerial conference, which presumably will be in two years' time, unless the members agree to extend it again. So at this point, we have a date of expiry, the next ministerial conference, unless the member states of the WTO agree to extend it. Opposition was notable from countries including India, Indonesia, Sri Lanka, and South Africa. They were concerned, as I've mentioned, that, to be honest, the costs of the moratorium are borne by developing countries because we are importing, not so much exporting digitally delivered services. I think this is certainly um, a development we have to watch very carefully keeping in mind the composition of digitally delivered services. And we are starting to see that some developing countries are moving ahead very quickly in terms of developing their capacity to stream entertainment services and gaming. And we can think of Nigeria in this context, for example. Kenya is another up-and-coming player in this in this market segment as well. So the market, I think the conclusion we come to is changing very rapidly. A lot of innovation, foreign direct investment coming in, but very importantly, it is also a market where there's a mix of some giant multinational players, some giant 
players on the African continent, but also smaller players. So this is where, in the context of the AFC-FDA and various stakeholder engagements that have been held on the Protocol on Digital Trade, youth representatives have seen and noted this as a particularly op important opportunity for them to get market access, be able to supply their services, stream their services, for example, across the continent under the AFC-FDA. So a reminder that this is also very much a live issue in the context of the AFC-FDA negotiations on the Protocol on Digital Trade. I would also just like to mention the connection to the trade and services agenda, because cross-border delivery of services requires communication services, requires energy security, energy services. So we start to see how important these connections to other areas of our industry development, energy sector development, communication sector development, and the broader trade and services agenda actually is. I think let's have a look at the next slide very briefly. I think earlier, one of the honorable members um, asked about the non-state sense participation in WTO engagements and so on. And although, of course, it's the member states that negotiate WTO agreements that meet at the ministerial conferences, we often have on the fringe, there are companies, NGOs, civil society organizations more generally that may be lobbying for a particular agenda that play a very important role in bringing their issues, concerns to the notice of the delegations of the WTO member states. And in this context, what was quite notable was that there were 108 tech companies that lobbied for the extension of the moratorium, citing that at the moment the global economy really, really is battling and that not taxing digital transactions would support further development of this sector, which is not unexpected, but it gives us a little bit of insight into where the private sector or the non-state voices sometimes come into, into play when negotiations are underway. We're also aware that, for example, when it comes to agriculture negotiations, obviously there are sometimes lobbyists, for example, demonstrations outside the WTO during negotiations. And we all remember Cancun, um, one of the earlier meetings of, of the ministers of trade. Lobbyists, they argue that the tariff revenue gains would be more than offset by economic losses. So one starts to see multiple perspectives around this particular issue, but it was possible. And I think this, this is notable for all the member states to come together and to agree on the moratorium. So honorable members, this is where we stand at the moment. It is an issue where South Africa has particular perspective 
And where, of course, in the context of the AFCFDA, we may well see similar agenda issues being discussed. So I think we've also got to watch what happens once the negotiations to conclude the protocol on, on digital trade get underway, which should be fairly soon. I think that may be the last. We have some conclusions, but I think let's stop there. Thank you so much for sharing the slides for us. Thank you, Honourable Chair, back to you. Thank you very much uh, for the presentation. Uh, and uh, at this stage, you will allow uh, honorable members uh, if there are any questions for clarity. Uh, are there any hands? Can, can everybody hear me? Yes. Yes, oh. you can hear <laughs> Okay, I thought I have a connectivity problem. <laughs> or maybe let let me start then. Uh, I just want to check on the uh, fisheries agreement, uh, the, the 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 two thirds. Uh, normally, how long does it take to to get to that uh, two thirds uh, so that the agreement comes into uh, force? Uh, uh, but also, I think in 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 the slides. It 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 uh, commands the agreement uh, uh, in terms of a sustainable environment, uh, but also on the same slides it talks about uh, that uh, this agreement allows uh, for a longer and uh, farthest uh, uh, fishing. Uh, that that also has a. Uh, negative effects on on their marine life. Uh, how is it then environmentally sustainable when at the same time it has a, a, a effect uh, on the marine life? Uh, uh, that's that's another question. Uh, <clears throat> on on this issue that uh, the the e-commerce and the issue of the extension of the moratorium. Uh, I see that there are countries that uh, South Africa being one of them, Indonesia and uh, 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 India uh, would like to block uh, uh, the extension. Uh, what powers uh, do these uh, countries, because uh, uh, when I look at them, most of them are developing or least developed uh, countries. Uh, what power do they have to be able then to uh, to block uh, the the extension uh, of this moratorium. Um, on, on the issue of the WTO fisheries uh, funding uh, uh, fund, uh, I just just want to know if uh, uh, which countries are donating uh, to that uh, uh, particular uh, uh, fund. Yeah. Basically, those are the uh, uh, questions, uh, but also perhaps related to the decision making uh, in the WTO. Uh, as I think I saw a slide that says that the the majority in terms of membership uh, of uh, a WTO are the developing countries. I think and the least developed countries. Doesn't that then? Uh, uh, give them an edge in terms of uh, blocking decisions uh, or voting in favor of a decision that uh, 
have uh, their interests uh, in place. Uh, okay, perhaps uh, if I can go back to the issue of uh, the fisheries as well, uh, uh, the negotiations on fisheries, whether these have taken into account uh, these uh, least developed uh, countries, uh, uh, their interests as well. Thank you very much. Uh, I'll be followed by Honorable Dango. Honorable Dango. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Chairperson, it's the question of country of origin labeling that becomes important. The EU subsidizes agriculture, which means African farmers cannot uh, compete with that. Israel does the same thing. Uh, should we not have a stronger point on labeling where goods come from that are subsidized, such as agricultural goods, particularly they have to be labeled as the, with the countries of origin very strongly? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Young. Uh, perhaps the other Maybe last question from me. myself, sir. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, you can go ahead. Yeah. Yes, uh, that's, uh, I think, related to the slide that spoke to the food security. Just uh, noted that the, uh, the anti-dumping restrictions uh, on chickens has been uh, uh, suspended and uh, it looks like uh, uh, one of the reasons is that the the price has been soaring around chickens, we meaning that the uh, the uh, the uh, countries that uh, that were that were affected uh, following the investigations uh, uh, will now be allowed to 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 to, to or, or no longer have restrictions. Uh, on that, which 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 uh, which uh, uh, probably need to hear uh, a comment uh, from 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 the, the team, uh, because uh, in line with the with with the discussion on food security, the headline is that SA suspends anti-dumping duties on poultry imports. You see, and. Uh, it will be interested just to get a sense uh, because this is also welcomed by the by the meat importers uh, uh, in relation to, to 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 the suspension of the poultry anti-dumping duties. Thank you, Chair. Um, thank you so much. Uh, I, I was just uh, checking if, uh, with regard to the MC12 uh, 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 conference or conference uh, ministerial conference uh, 12 whether there are any, it can't with all the agenda items or there are any outstanding items uh, that will then go to MC13. I think that was the last issue I wanted to check. Uh, over to you, uh, Prof and uh, uh, Trudy. Honourable Chair, if I may jump in and address a few of those, and then Professor Rasmus will will pick up. Um, I think these are extremely interesting questions. Um, 
the issue around country of origin labeling, so the rules of origin issue, I think this is always such an important one. And this is why we have rules of origin as such a key component of trade agreements, both preferential trade agreements, where we have preferential rules of origin for those goods that are traded under preferences, say with the European Union, or as we will now have with the, the AFCFDA. But we also have rules of origin, of course, in, in the WTO, because we need to know the origin of every product for a whole range of reasons for our trade data. But if something goes wrong, for example, if an SPS issue is is um, at posing the the health of consumers, posing risk to the health of consumers, then we need to know where that product comes from. So, for SPS reasons and a whole range of other reasons related to management of trade remedies and safeguards. We need to know where that product is coming from if it is allegedly being dumped in, in our market. So these are really, really important issues. But it's also related to the bigger discussion around subsidization. And so knowing the origin, knowing the circumstances in terms of which those products have been grown, produced, manufactured is really important. Um, I think in addition to the rules of origin, which have to be effectively implemented, the management of our borders is absolutely critical here as well. I think the two really hang together. So often we find that analysts may recommend that we have we should have stricter rules of origin to prevent goods sneaking into our markets that we are dealing with preferential trade with partners that we have negotiated those preferences with, but stricter rules of origin without also looking at improving customs and border management certainly may not work. In fact, there may be more incentives for irregular trade practices to take place under those those circumstances. So I think that's extremely important to, to keep in mind. When we take a look at the number of countries that have initially opposed the moratorium on electronic transmissions, the outcome, keep in mind that decisions are made by consensus, reflect that eventually we found agreement for the extension of the moratorium. So even though countries did, some countries did initially raise concerns and were perhaps even considering finding constituencies to block the decision, ultimately agreement was found. As far as the, the fisheries agreement is concerned, the Director General is on record saying that she would like and she's urging all member states to accept this outcome so that it can enter into force. She's aiming for six to nine months. This is incredibly ambitious, but she's saying it's absolutely important that we give effect to that as soon as possible. In some cases, 
the overall entry into force may take a couple of years or even longer. But I think what we're seeing from the Director General is that she's ambitious. She really wants to get these outcomes in force. So she is on record saying six to nine months. And we can rest assured that she will certainly put a lot of work into mobilizing so that the member states do accept what has been agreed. Professor Erasmus, if I could hand over to you. Yeah. Um, it, as far as the entry into force of the new fisheries uh, subsidies uh, agreement is concerned, the previous one, the trade facilitation agreement, uh, took several years before it finally entered into force. If <clears throat> it's a matter of political support, if, uh, if this agreement uh, will enter into force within one year, that will be a major achievement. Um, but of course, there will there will have to be uh, other uh, uh, obligations that will gr gradually uh, um, uh, need our attention. And the one is where will the funding come from? As the chair has asked, well, that will call again on on the on the on the powers and the persuasion of the of, of the director general uh, to um, to to see to that. I did see a notice that. Uh, these matters are already receiving uh, attention within the WTO Secretariat. So the, <clears throat> let's park this this the, the, this collection of issues around the uh, around the development and entry into force of the fisheries agreement, and see what will happen. Uh, there was an observation by the chair that uh, that uh, how can the um, he didn't. He was uncomfortable with the with the emphasis on the on the environmental uh, and 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 resilience and and resources protection. Uh, uh, let me just clarify that it is not as if this agreement makes an exception for for certain types of 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 uh, of, uh, of practices and certain types of of of, um, of, of subsidies. No, no, it, it recognizes that, that the state parties must take responsibility for these. And the state, it's, it's quite a detailed little agreement. And, uh, and we didn't have, we didn't go into all the technical detail now. Uh, but if, if, if further information is needed, we can, we can supply that. The text of the agreement itself provides for the exact nature of the individual obligations of states and state state parties and um, uh, the type of 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 of, uh, of subsidies and how they will be phased in over time just remember that there is a wto uh, subsidies and countervailing agreement in any case we here have a, a very specific uh, uh, um, uh, agreement which deals only with one category of, of, of subsidies and practices related to, uh, to their impact on, 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 uh, on, on um, um, marine fishing resources. So my, my, my reading of the agreement is it makes sense. It fits together. It is not as if it is inherently 
um, uh, uh, inconsistent. There was a question about uh, what happens, what, where will the issues of MC13 comes from? Well, it's these because these um, ministerial conferences are regular occurrences, and they must happen every every two years. Uh, the agenda for the next uh, ministerial conference uh, will will generate itself, so to speak. And what is not, um, it what we what we in any case do see is that sometimes these issues will remain on on. Uh, um, on the agenda of ministerial conferences for for years to come before there is sufficient support for um, a definite decision. Let me conclude by saying that um, the WTO is a multilateral forum where decisions are taken on the basis of consensus. There is growing criticism of the consensus decision-making model for achieving commitments as required by modern needs and, and, and conditions. If we see the exercise of the right to vote and consensus as a form of blocking certain developments, uh, then those countries that feel strongly enough about uh, particular issues, they will do their own thing, so to speak. So part of the political and diplomatic challenge here is to keep the, the balance between the multilateral uh, forum alive with uh, uh, new technological and technical developments and and to to keep on board all those 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 countries and players preferably as many as possible uh, in order to uh, to support new developments it is it has been significant that the wto could generate sufficient support for the fisheries agreement there are other areas and other examples and truly you can read refer us to some of these uh, technical or, or these strategic initiatives where the developments are not taking place within the context of the WTO, but elsewhere. We are way beyond our allo allocated time of, of, of um, uh, one o'clock being the, uh, the, final, the final border. Uh, so Chair, I don't know to be whether you want to say something about uh, the strategic initiatives. Yeah. Just to remind our audience that this is a complicated game that is taking place out there. It is not straightforward one-way traffic. And that the diplomatic challenge is to find a balance between uh, the multilateral picture and the regional pictures and the technical ones. And all these various agendas must be must speak to each other, so to so to speak. Thanks, Professor Rasmus Chair. If I may, just a quick note. Um, in fact, in our presentation, honourable members will find a slide related to joint statement initiatives. And as Professor Rasmus has indicated, 
it has been very difficult since the establishment of the WTO to conclude new multilateral agreements. We have the Trade Facilitation Agreement entered into force in February 2017, and now we have the so-called Fisheries Subsidies Agreement. But there are other negotiations which are still ongoing. Meanwhile, the member states of the WTO have and had in, in some cases more than 20 years ago, adopted work programs on newer issues. And these include, for example, e-commerce, digital trade, um, investment facilitation, um, domestic services regulation, and many, many other issues. So they are ongoing work programs. In some cases, as far as some of those issues are concerned, some of the WTO members who have common interests and would like to see that these work programs now graduate to a negotiating agenda have in fact advanced in that direction. And these are the so-called joint statement initiatives. They are plurilateral initiatives. They are open to all WTO member states, but not all participate and in some instances, some WTO members have adopted a position that they will not participate in any joint statement initiative in any form, even as an observer, to understand what is on the table and what those member states that want to progress to an agreement eventually are discussing. So this is a really interesting development and there have been some negotiating outcomes which are limited of course only to those WTO member states that are particip participating on services domestic regulation in December last year. This is also where the e-commerce agenda has been discussed and where it is developing amongst those group of countries who have specific interests in moving towards rules on, on e-commerce, for example. It is a development we need to watch very carefully because this reflects the increasing complex reality of global trade. But there's another reason why we should be monitoring that is that some of these issues, which are the subject of joint statement initiatives, are on our own regional integration agenda in, for example, the African continental free trade area. And so we are dealing with those issues in this case, in, in the context of the AFCFDA, but nonetheless, they are part of the new reality of international trade and international trade governance. So it is something that we do have to monitor quite carefully. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, no, thank you very much uh, uh, to Professor and uh, uh, Ms. Trudy Hetzenberg. Uh, for the presentation and also responses uh, to to our questions. I see there is another hand uh, from uh, Honorable uh, Mwimak. Thank you, Chair. I suspect the 
uh, the uh, the question that I posed uh, and that's not noted. Uh, I think it's just, uh, the, the the reason why I'm uh, I thought I must come back again, chair, is informed by the fact that uh, uh, the uh, question that that I posed is informed by uh, what 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 is containing the government gazette notice. Uh, it was uh, for, uh, on 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 the first of August, and uh, uh, the thrust of the of, of of the of the gazette is centered around the the need to combat the the food prices, which mainly has been uh, 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 affected by the inflationary measures. But what is key is the fact that uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, investigation that was conducted by the International Trade Administration Com- Commission led to the suspension, uh, but at the same time also, uh, the, while uh, the liberalisation of trade policies to a larger degree can help uh, consumers. One of the biggest challenges is, 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 is our commitment to true localization uh, and uh, and the protectionist policies, I believe, is mainly to restrict competition. My biggest uh, 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 confusion emanates from uh, from what world is uh, removal of the anti-dumping uh, uh, cost to, 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 to the local uh, Chicken industry. Thank you. Okay. Um, Perhaps if I may just add uh, uh, something else. Um, I I wanted to check also the the role of the WTO uh, uh, public forum and also its uh, influence. on the negotiations uh, uh, that are taking place. I know I've attended one in in, in, in Switzerland uh, in 2019, um, but I'm, I'm not quite sure the, the issues that were discussed in the public forum, uh, uh, to what extent uh, are they finding expression uh, in the WTO negotiations? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Chair. I'll start with the the last question. And there is no direct link between the the discourses and the discussions that happen at the WTO forum. It is really an opportunity for non-state actors to engage and also to bring new issues to the discussions about WTO agenda issues and trade agenda developments more more broadly, for example, we'll participate in in some discussions there that focus, for example, on the African continental free trade area. So it's a broad stakeholder engagement event. It is useful because to some extent it provides a temperature gauge for discussion about particular issues, but it is not linked to the agendas that the member states bring to 
to the negotiating table. Keep in mind, it's member state driven. Obviously, the member states listen to their stakeholders and engage back home with their various constituencies in order to develop positions, bring negotiating positions to the table and so on. But it is an interesting and I have certainly found it um, a very valuable event. Trelloc has hosted, we were the first African NGO to host a session at the WTO forum in the early 2000s. So we certainly, certainly benefit from those conversations. I do want to acknowledge, and I'm, I'm really sorry, um, Honorable Moimeng, that we haven't come back to your question about what we've seen in the government gazette yesterday, actually. And it is an interesting development because it is a policy response, a trade policy response on a matter that has been considered by ITEC as a result of a request for an investigation on alleged dumping. And ITEC had made a decision, which is obviously referred to the minister and trade policy measures are implemented in the form of anti-dumping duties. Now we have a situation where if we take a look at what our Minister of Trade has indicated, the reports in the media, there has been a reconsideration in light of current developments and challenges. And we are starting to see not only not only here, but across the world, that the focus on cost of living, that cost of basic foodstuffs is causing major challenges to millions, literally millions of consumers all over our countries um, and globally as well. So this is a very strategic trade policy decision that has been taken in a broader development context, taking into account a priority issue right now, which is access to food and access to protein in particular. So this is the way we read that. but. It's certainly an, an issue that I'm absolutely sure our colleagues from DTIC, the minister himself, would very much value your engagement on and be able to provide more detail on exactly what has led to um, this decision. Because, of course, these decisions are not taken lightly. There would be an investigation. Data would be assessed there would be an impact assessment undertaken by ITAC to see what the impact of that would be. And that is the due process when ITAC implements any trade policy measure as a result of the request for an investigation, whether it be about dumping or subsidization, or as the case may be. Thank you, Chair. Professor Rasmus, any comment from you? No, I've got nothing to add now. Thank you very much. Uh, perhaps before we we close, um, uh, as I indicated earlier, that today was meant to receive a briefing from the Department of uh, Trade, Industry and Competition. We are still going to uh, reschedule, uh, as I indicated, that the minister is not available. Uh, but uh, before we close, I would like to perhaps uh, give you just a few uh, minutes to Ms. Elizabeth Van Rennen and see if she's got any comments uh, uh, 
but also as a we will still have a formal engagement with the department uh, just to allow a few comments thank you uh, honorable chair Good afternoon honorable members and, and also the colleagues from Trala. Uh, i think we could thank Trallak for the for the presentation uh, it, it was informative uh, from from our side chair if, if there should be um, specific questions arising from this we would be happy to to uh, assist or maybe to to elaborate where we try to get touched on issues uh, and then of course i i believe uh, uh, an engagement with the department will also be scheduled um, presumably in the near future which of course we would honor thank you chair Thank you very much. Uh, I think also the the issue that was raised by uh, Honorable Mwemang will be best addressed uh, uh, in that particular meeting. Therefore, um, unless there is anything else, uh, Honorable Members, uh, from the side, I would like to now uh, 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 close the meeting. Uh, in doing so, I would like to uh, thank uh, uh, Trala Trade Law Center. Uh, Ms. Trudy Hasenberg, uh, Professor uh, Erasmus, uh, for uh, coming and uh, uh, making the presentation. And uh, we are much clearer now with regard to the role uh, of the WTO. Um, but we will uh, keep on making these requests uh, from the side. We still want to know more about uh, the engagement at uh, the level of uh, the G20, uh, the, the BRICS, uh, SACU, uh, et cetera. Uh, so from time to time, we'll uh, invite uh, uh, you to, to, to share uh, information uh, for us. Uh, uh, but we'll also engage with the department uh, uh, on these uh, uh, issues. Thank you very much for agreeing to come and uh, uh, make the presentation to us, as I'm indicating that uh, uh, members are clearer. Uh, I don't know if it would be possible then to uh, send us a, a, perhaps it's an issue that will also get from the department, uh, the full text uh, of this uh, agreement on the uh, agreement on, on fisheries uh, uh, subsidies uh, the sanitary, phytosanitary uh, agreement, and the, the MC12 uh, uh, outcomes, if, if, if we could get a full text uh, uh, of those uh, uh, sent to our uh, committee secretary. Otherwise, thank you so much. I'd like to also thank the honorable members uh, for your attendance and participation. The, the staff of the committee, uh, staff of uh, parliament, the, the communication uh, section of uh, uh, parliament. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, and also, thanks to PMG and uh, uh, other members of the media. Thank you very much. Uh, the meeting is adjourned. And uh, goodbye. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chief. Bye-bye. Bye, Chair. <laughs> <laughs>
Bye, Luke. Bye. Bye. Bye.